We live in a pretty angry world. That's why I'm asking. I, you know, you never know how much you can trust the data and surveys and such. But, uh, but Gallup, which is a national sort of organization, they measure a lot of things for multi-million dollar companies. And one of the things that they've been measuring over years and years and years is what percentage of people around the world consider themselves to be angry people. They interview thousands of people across lots and lots of countries. And what they found was in 2023, this past year, 23% of people consider themselves to be angry people. It's almost a quarter of people consider themselves to be angry. And while that number sounds high enough on its own, it's even higher considering that outside of a short peak during the pandemic, which was only 24%, 1% higher, this has gotten higher every single year as long as they've been measuring it. Just in the last 15 years, 7% of people have considered themselves angrier than they did then. So we're already an angry society, and we're getting angrier and angrier by the year. And I think that kind of tracks when we think through it, right? There's a lot of outrage going on, lots of things that we're told that we should be angry about. There's so many things we're supposed to be angry about, whether it's uh, politics or things happening internationally to all the celebrities and corporations I'm supposed to be mad at. And it's every side, every single group. If you're on this side, you're telling me that those people are people we should be angry at. And if you're all the way over here, you're telling me these people are the people we should be angry at. Everyone's angry at each other all the time. And that doesn't even factor in the things that I come against in my daily life. What about when I'm stuck in traffic and the light won't turn and I'm pretty sure I've been sitting at the same light for like 20 minutes and I'm not going anywhere when I'm already 10 minutes late? How do I deal with myself then? Or how about when You send an email that answers all the questions that somebody has, and then they don't really read the email and continue to ask you the same five questions. How do I deal with myself then? Or how do I deal with myself when someone has hurt me? There's a lot of opportunities for anger. A lot of times where... We would say maybe the natural response would be to react in anger. And the question is, how do we deal with all of this anger, all of this outrage, all of this hate that is just all around all the time? And luckily, Jesus Jesus tells us exactly how to deal with with these issues. If you want to turn to Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be for the majority of this time. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see Jesus talk about anger very bluntly. 
He's going to make it very clear that this selfish anger that consumes so much of our lives, this selfish anger that seems to be a defining trait for 23% of us, that anger has no place in the life of a Christian at all. If you're in Matthew 5, let's just start by reading the whole passage together, starting in verse 21. Matthew 5, starting in 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount being Matthew's best sort of example of the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus says, here is what those in my kingdom look like. And who they are. Not just a list of here's what they're going to do and here's what they're not going to do. This isn't some set of rules. But this is the very essence of who they are at the heart. This is what Christians are supposed to look like. Who they're supposed to be. And in this section... In the second half of chapter 5, Jesus is sort of going through kind of rapid fire some of the mistaken interpretations of the old law, the law of Moses. And what he says a lot, he said, here's what you will say the old law says, but you miss the point. Here's what God really wanted you to understand the entire time. And one of these corrections that Jesus offers is on the concept of murder. And Jesus says it's about a lot more than just murder. And it's going to tell us a lot about our own motivations for anger and how we handle it. Let's look again just at the first two verses. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus starts with the command that we know from the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not murder. That's Exodus 20. And if you do murder, you're in trouble, which is echoed throughout Scripture. So don't murder. That's the point that Jesus is making. And I don't know about you guys. I almost asked for a raise of hands, but I don't want the consequences of doing it. But for me... I'm a pretty messed up person. This is not a problem for me. I've messed up in a lot of ways. I've never murdered anybody. I've never gotten close to murdering anybody. I've never even thought about murdering somebody. 
So at first, when Jesus says, hey, by the way, you shall not murder, I say, okay, great, we can move on to the next one, check box. I have a feeling that that's what a lot of the people in the crowd were thinking when Jesus started this statement. And that's why what Jesus says is so important. Because he says, that's a very narrow way to view this commandment. The commandment of murder is a lot more than just about not literally ending someone's life. If you've been angry with your brother, you deal with the temptation of murder. Here's what God really has wanted us to see and learn all along. The sin of murder starts well before the action, because the sin of murder starts in the heart. The seeds of murder start with anger. They start with degrading someone else. They start when we try to raise ourselves above others, and all of a sudden, I've got problems. This goes from a commandment that I'm going to hope and assume applies to very few of us, and makes it a problem that all of us struggle with constantly. Jesus says that anger is murder. And that's echoed very similarly in 1 John 3, verse 15. 1 John 3, 15 puts it this way, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, Jesus and John, they say the sanctity of life, the importance of relationships are about a lot more than not, just not killing each other. That's the lowest bar, but actually we need to be a lot better. If we have hate in our heart, if we have unrestrained anger in our lives, we are committing murder in our hearts. Which is a tough thing to really grapple with. That if I have hate in my heart, I have murder in my heart. I don't like that thought. Because, let me tell you, Sometimes I do have hate in my heart. This is a tough, tough commandment. First John, again, it tells us we can't have the love of God in us if we're holding on to that anger. Jesus says that even if we call our brothers a fool, we have committed murder. And that's not literally about the word itself. There's nothing particularly egregious about the word fool. That word is used all across Scripture. You can't get out of that commandment by just calling somebody a different nasty name instead. No, the idea is, again, anytime that you are trying to demean someone, anytime you're trying to raise yourself above them, anytime you're trying to cut and hurt someone, we have murder in our hearts. This is important. Jesus says we have a heart problem, and it's a really, really pressing heart problem. And that's really the 
con- the concept that Jesus expands on in this next section, looking at starting in verse 23 again. He said, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So Jesus is trying to really emphasize here the importance of these commandments. What dealing with this anger looks like. And he uses two examples to talk about it. The first here, if you're offering a sacrifice to God, a free will offering them, and you say as you're going to the altar, oh man, I think I've really hurt this brother, this sister. Jesus says, don't delay. Get up and go and make it right, right then. Leave the sacrifice at the altar and go and seek forgiveness, which really says two things. First, it tells us some about our demeanor, right? It tells us that Christians should be people of humility. Because let me tell you, here's... Let's think about it this way. So all of us have either had siblings or had kids or seen kids fight before. And I want you to think about when you're in the other room and you can hear two kids going at it, right? And they are just really tearing into each other. And you come in the room and you ask, what's going on here? What's the first thing that happens? Well, he started it, and well, you'll never believe what she said. That's sort of, we make fun of kids a lot for that. What's the first thing I do when I get in trouble? Well, you'll never believe what brother so-and-so did. It wasn't really my fault. And that's what Jesus is warning against here. Jesus says, look, the attitude of a Christian, there's no room for making excuses. There's no room for blaming someone else. In the example that Jesus gives here, Jesus does not even assume necessarily that we are the guilty party. He just says if your brother has something against you. This isn't even like some of the other passages where he says if you sin against your brother. Jesus almost doesn't seem to care here who's at fault. Because in the life of a Christian, it doesn't really matter who's at fault. Jesus says if you're going to the altar and you say this person has a problem with me, you go and fix it right then. That shows humility. That shows a lowly demeanor, meekness. And the ability to actually own up to what you've done. So that's the first thing it shows. The second thing it shows is the importance of seeking forgiveness. It would be unheard of to leave at the altar. 
Think about it. Even, even, a, even a free will offering, a free will offering sacrifice, this is still you coming before the presence of God in worship and admiration of Him. That's an important thing. We would say that that's very much akin to coming here on a Sunday or something, right? And yet, Jesus says, you know what? I'm not saying that's not important. He says, go back and give the, go to the altar after. But what He says is there are more important things. And if your brother has something against you, that is more important. You leave everything and you go. It would be, again, unheard of to leave at the altar. And yet Jesus says, if you need to ask for forgiveness, that's more important. And so for us, we need to be thinking about what do we have hindering us right now between asking for the forgiveness that we need to? Whatever it is, we need to go and we need to leave it. Leave it at the altar and come back. So, the first thing that we really see there is that example there of the importance of seeking forgiveness, the importance of humility. The second thing, Jesus uses a very real example. Um, the idea of being brought to court because you have wronged someone. And Jesus just plainly asks, basically, which is better? Which is better, to pridefully refuse to settle with your brother, to pridefully refuse to talk things out with him when you've wronged someone? Because then you're going to get taken to court. You might have to go to jail. You might have to pay some huge debt. And all because you just couldn't say that you were sorry. So is that better, or is it better to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness before any of that starts? And this really parallels the beginning of this section where Jesus says that those who have this anger, this hate in their hearts, they will be liable for the judgment of murders. They will be brought before the council that holding on to this prideful anger will, not might, but will have consequences both in our lives now and in our lives to come. This is important stuff. Jesus says this isn't the kind of thing that you can put on the back burner. And I think that's the problem we have with our anger sometimes. We'll hold on to grudges for years and keep them in the back of our heads and act like it's not a big deal. Jesus says that is murder. It's got to go now. It's got to be gone. The point of Jesus here is clear. For Christians, those who seek the kingdom of Jesus, it's not enough to not just literally murder someone. It's not enough to not just physically or verbally abuse someone when we're upset. Someone who has truly given their heart to Jesus, they will be slow to anger. They will be humble and caring. They will seek forgiveness and they will forgive they will be patient and merciful and gracious. In other words, those who seek the kingdom of Jesus will be like Jesus. It's a tough calling. I don't know about you, but I'm nowhere near there yet. But that's the message of Matthew 5. Let's make just a few points on how we can get to that point. And the first thing is... 
quite simply, we just need to get the anger, the murder, the hatred out of our hearts. I asked at the beginning of this lesson, are you an angry person? And for me, I would say, well, no, I'm not angry. And to a certain extent, that's true. Right now, I am not an angry person. Right now, I am happy to be here. Right now, I'm happy to see all of you guys. It's easy. There's nothing pressing me right now. But again, when I'm stuck in construction traffic and I'm 10 minutes late, am I an angry person then? All of a sudden, I am. Or when it's been a long day and I'm really hungry because I haven't eaten anything because I kind of skipped lunch by accident and then someone needs something from me after I get home, am I an angry person then? All of a sudden, I am. Or maybe I'm not an angry person right now, but what about when I'm dealing with that one person at work who just is always a thorn in my side? Am I an angry person then? And all of a sudden, I am. What Jesus' words show is that I think all of us are a little bit more angry people than we like to admit. All of us have a little bit more murder, a little bit more hate in our hearts than we like to admit. And that's not good enough. So the question I really want us to think about is what bothers you? What do you blow up at? Take some time to think about that this week. What are the things that make me angry? If you're married... Ask your spouse. And don't, when they say what makes you angry, don't say, well, if you really understood all these things, don't make excuses. Jesus already talked about that. Honestly, listen. Ask your friends. Ask your siblings. What are the things that really set me off? And then work on fixing them. Because a lot of times we haven't even evaluated what our motives are at all. So let me tell you, one of the things that makes me the most angry for no reason is I hate sitting in traffic. Everybody has to sit in traffic. I'm not special. Every one of us has to do it. And yet it feels like when I'm sitting in traffic, it is a personal offense against me. The world has somehow conspired to make me have to sit in this car longer. And then you really think about it. Why does that make me angry? Well, it makes me angry because I tend to think that my personal time is very valuable. Now, I tend to think that my time is probably a little more valuable than the other people on the road with me. And if I really think about it, I'm not just angry because I'm having to sit in the car. I'm angry because I've got a pride issue that's got to get out of the way. So what makes you angry? And why does it make you angry? Why am I still angry at someone who hurt me 10 years ago? It's because I haven't processed and forgiven what's gone on. 
Jesus challenges us to get rid of the hate in our hearts. Not just get rid of the hateful actions. You should do that. Not just get rid of the hateful words. You should do that. But Jesus says you need to get rid of the hateful thoughts. you got to get rid of the angry feelings. And that's hard. A lot of times I'm angry because I feel like I deserve better. And this hate, this malice that Jesus speaks of, that kind of pride that hurts others, it often comes from selfishness and it's got to go. So let's examine ourselves. And the second thing we have to do is we have to replace it with love. If you're in Matthew 5 still, I want to read verses 43 through 48. Because at this section that we talked about earlier where Jesus is correcting this misinterpretations of the law, he talks about anger and lust and lying and revenge, all of these things that break relationships and hurt people, the opposite of love. And here's what Jesus finishes this section with. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies... Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, you want to know how to get rid of the hate out of your heart. You want to know how to get the lust out of your heart. You want to know how to get the lying out of your heart. Whatever it is, Jesus says, here's how you do it. You replace it with love. That person who lied about you, pray for them. That person who hurt you, serve them. That annoying co-worker, look for ways to love and bless them. Our God is a God who loves and serves all, and He calls us to do the same. And Like Jesus said, I don't have a hard time loving you guys. I don't have a hard time loving my family. But can I take that love and apply it to the people that I don't think deserve it? Can I take that love and apply it to people who have taken advantage of me. Can I take that love and apply it to the people who make my life harder? That's the path of Christ. Not that everyone's always going to... You're not, not that you're always going to think that everyone deserves love. Even though they do, everyone is a person made in the image of God. Everyone deserves love just as much as you do. But you're not always going to feel that. The call of Christ is to love and serve them anyway. It's important. Jesus says it's more important than just filling a pew on Sunday. We've got to get rid of the anger. We've got to purge our hearts of the malice. We've got to forgive. We've got to seek forgiveness when we've wronged others. We have to show a humble heart, a selfless love to everyone, especially to those that don't deserve it. It's a high calling, but it's time to start 
now. Let's pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Father, thank you for loving us, even though we were enemies of you. Thank you for being slow to anger. Thank you for forgiving us so abundantly. Thank you for your giving, selfless spirit exemplified through Jesus and the cross. Thank you for who you are. Help us to follow you and live your life and to love and forgive others as you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.